Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai. Next up, a conversation with Wiradjuri woman, Felicity Kerslake. She is experienced a naturopath, nutritionalist and permaculturalist with 20 years of experience and big passion for native foods and plant medicines. Felicity is also a part of a team that looks into mainstream medical systems and to see if if and how to use Australian native and traditional medicine is supported in our current systems. We are now joined by Virajuri woman Felicity Kerslake. Felicity is an experienced naturopath, nutritionist and permaculturalist and she's going to talk about Australian native foods and plant medicines. Hello Felicity and thank you for joining us on NITV Radio. Thank you for having me. Felicity, you have many years of experience and passion for native foods and medicinal plants. You're also part of the team who is educating people about the native medicines. Can you tell us more about your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm working with the team at the Australian Bush Food Education Centre and also with a team of researchers. And we're looking into how we can support uh, the general public, how we can support our First Nations peoples, but also to how we can support our healthcare professionals as well with the education and understanding of our traditional medicines that we have in Australia, our First Nations traditional medicines, and also to our Australian native foods and plants. Uh, and for me, it's really important to reconnect to country, to reconnect to this knowledge, and to be able to have it accessible so people, our First Nations people who choose to continue to use our uh, medicines, our plant medicines, they have access to it and it's supported and accepted in a culturally safe way. Mm -hmm. And how do you support people on their journey to, to start using the plants? Yeah, it starts a lot of First Nations people hold the knowledge so, and um, that's passed down from elders uh, and from traditional knowledge holders as well. So for my role, it's really just supporting in a way that's meaningful to the individual coming to see me. However, I've also we're also doing more wide reaching, so group talks and education. So we've got a range of online education, and this is really getting people to understand, you know, what is a native food in Australia? Because if I say to someone, "Hey, can you name an Italian food?" they might be able to say pizza or a pasta, or if I say an Indian food, they'll say curry. But when I say something about what's an Australian food, a lot of people are stumped and if not they say meat pie we don't know and so for me it's really looking at getting awareness of what our foods are out there and with knowing or having that access to the foods and knowledge on what foods we have in Australia our native foods it also then brings into the plant medicines and our first nations traditional medicines because a lot of our foods are actual medicines but what determines a food and what determines a medicine is this is where the knowledge comes into play. It's really knowing and understanding when to pick the plant, how to grow the how to grow the plant, when to pick the plant, what part of the plant to use, what parts edible and what parts not. So it is really delicate balance of knowledge, uh, but also to in a culturally safe way, knowing how much to share, because currently within Australia, 
the cultural, Indigenous cultural intellectual property, so the knowledge of how we do these things and how we prepare foods and how we prepare medicines, it doesn't align with our um, intellectual property laws. So meaning that if someone comes along and hears what I'm sharing, they can easily take that knowledge and then go reproduce it and start monetizing it and start using it in a, a way that's not appropriate and it doesn't recognize the source or the benefit sharings that might come from that doesn't actually go back to the knowledge holders or the communities where that knowledge came from. You said there could be people sort of abusing this knowledge. Has it happened? Yeah, absolutely it's happened. And unfortunately, it was one of the detrimental effects of colonization, which still impacts us today. So with the severing of knowledge or severing of the language and looking at traditional farming practices. So uh, First Nations people live with purpose. They were agroecologists, so they actually would plant foods, they would eat the foods and plant them and live in a really sustainable way because that's all their resources were, foods and medicines, shelters, tools, everything came from their environment. So when colonisation happened, there was wiping out of land clearing of land there was the monocultural farming coming in so this is where you get paddocks of you know the same crop over and over again so it really changed the landscape and it also changed the way in which people ate and which people our first nations people lived uh, which is what we're seeing now in the health impacts in our first nations people as well so things um, we're all familiar with tea tree and we're all familiar with eucalyptus these are really potent plant medicines that we know that are you know, have extreme antimicrobial action to them. And this knowledge was taken and then, you know, pharmaceutical companies or those with money can start to put patents on them and start making money from, you know, drugs that are manufactured, especially when you consider that over 70% of pharmaceutical drugs we have in our society, they actually come from plants, they originate from plant medicines. So it's really important that we protect this knowledge and protect the way that the knowledge is held and the use of the plants and the foods. And by doing that, what we can actually do is the benefits that you've mentioned is that we can start to regenerate country because I'm a big believer in with a healthy country, we have healthy people. So if we're getting plants in the ground, we're making it accessible, we're making food accessible, we're supporting the supply chain. We're also making sure it's local, so reducing food miles so food's not traveling and you know impacting or contributing to global warming those sorts of things but the benefit is for the people consuming it is the connection that we get through food the nutrition that we get through food and also that wholeness so they're raw fresh food plants grown locally uh, you can't get much healthier than that and it's diverse and balanced which is really important for gut health and microbiome Mm -hmm. So the good bugs in the gut. You're mentioning it on your web pages as well. So why is gut health so important? Yeah, for me, it is gut health is core to all over health. If you're not absorbing foods if, that you're eating, it doesn't matter how good the food is you're eating. If you're not able to absorb it, assimilate it, it's not going to have much use for you. But if we're using and we're looking at our First Nations traditional diets, You can actually see they're high in protein, they're high in fats, and they're also high in fiber as well. And fiber is what we know is a prebiotic. 
So prebiotic meaning it's a food for the good bacteria and there's a lot of research coming out now in the benefits of these good bacteria, not just within the gut and the physical body, but how it interacts with the mind, the gut connection. And there's also the heart gut connection, those sorts of things as well. It's working across the whole body. So if we can address gut health using food as medicine and supporting healthy absorption, digestion, and a diverse diet, we can actually create health and wellness which will then alleviate some of the other issues and address the other issues accordingly. Mm. This all sounds really amazing and inspiring, but a bit overwhelming as well. You know, where does one start? What would you recommend to someone who is interested? Yeah, absolutely. So it's just start by reaching out. Um, so I run group programs and those programs, it's just teaching people about our foods What does a healthy diet look like? What does a healthy lifestyle look like? How can we actually incorporate it? Because a lot of us know, but it's just the how and how we can actually do it. So it's really getting out, touching the plants, feeling the plants, connecting with each other and connecting with the food. So we know that when you know, it just had Christmas just gone by, every a lot of people gather around Christmas. It's about the connection to family, to culture, to community. It's everyone coming together. Food is just the vessel to get there. So really the, the way you can start is just to reach out, start to learn, start to ask, you know, engage with your local Indigenous community, engage with the elders, just talk with people and really connect from there because once you start connecting, you can start learning and growing and like I said I run programs um, online and face-to-face -face, which will really help to get people to understand and learning because it is such a beautiful food source so nutritious as well uh, that's another health aspect of it as well so nutritious and we've just got to get the accessibility there so get the awareness and then the accessibility through learning to grow it start building health from the ground up That was the first part of the interview with Wiradjuri woman Felicity Kelslake. Stay tuned for part two after the break. Felicity, you mentioned you also work with health professionals. Is there an increasing interest in traditional medicine and food? Yeah, that's a great question. There is. So there's a preliminary report that's just come out through uh, Dr. Alana Gore. Uh, and she's just done a First Nations traditional medicine representation in the Australian National Health Policy. And what that means is that they actually looked at through all their health policies, there are over the 52 policies, but only nine of those policies mention the First Nations traditional medicines. Um, and what that means is that our First Nations people are using it. And it is estimated to be around 18 to 89% of First Nations people are using traditional medicines or other complementary medicines. But our health professionals are not feeling, they report not feeling supported in how to advise or discuss around the First Nations traditional medicines because the policy and the frameworks aren't really there uh, to really support that. And that's part of the education journey that I've put forward is to really start to educate on yes these foods are powerful and they're nutritious but they're also used as medicine as well and just because they're natural doesn't mean they're safe so we've got to really ensure that our health providers are on board and our health providers are supported 
So then they can actually advise on, say, things like herb-drug or herb-nutrient, herb-drug-nutrient interactions. So ensures that the safety, which is why there has been a survey, the first survey um, in Australia on our First Nations medicines has come out, and I'd love for participants to get on board with that. Uh, and that's really just to capture how we can start, what's happening, would you like to see First Nations medicines in everyday healthcare? Would you, you know, uh, have you tried it but found resistance or what's happening for you? So we are actually, um, Dr. Alana Gorb and her research team are really looking into what's happening with our First Nations peoples using traditional medicines and, again, food is medicine and are they able to share? Do they want to share? Those sorts of things. But on the other side too is that what's happening with our health professionals? How are they feeling supported? How do they feel their knowledge is? Are they okay? Are they comfortable? You know, what's happening in that space as well? So this survey aims, there's two surveys, they both aim to really dig a little bit deeper to find out what's going on and how we can best support those who choose to use our First Nations traditional medicine and also to support those who are prescribing and working in healthcare settings to facilitate safe discussions and culturally appropriate care. Mm-hmm. And are the, the medicines and the plants and the foods, is this available and culturally appropriate for everyone to use? Or do you think it's for First Nations people and should not be shared beyond That's a great question and it varies. I think it depends on each nation as well because it's quite a complex area in the sense that it's not a one-size-fits-all, so it's not going to be right for everybody. And, again, what's happening at the moment is that when we look at evidence-based care, we really need to know that if we're prescribing these medicines or if myself as a naturopath are prescribing herbal medicines, I need to know how they're interacting in the body, what they're doing, uh, dosage, all these sorts of things. So knowing that, we need to be able to then prescribe it safely. So it may not be safe for everyone. It may not be culturally appropriate for everyone, and that's really important as well, and that varies um, through different nations, different mobs. Um, And then also, too, we've got to look at then, well, how is that going to interact with any other medications as well? Mm-hmm. So it is available in some sense. So as a naturopath, I can prescribe them uh, in a way that is compounded at the time of need for that individual patient, whereas you cannot um, go to a shop and just go get First Nations traditional medicine unless it's gone through TGA. And that's to ensure that there has been a safety threshold met um, and so it's not going to do harm. Felicity, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your passion about bush food and traditional medicine. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on board.